0: Capital is not readily available like it used to be. And if you decide you can get access to capital, you're paying a lot more for it than you used to because the interest rates are so much higher. So it does focus the mind, right? You have to be much more targeted and much more considered in your investment. It's Newsday. My name is Bill Russell. I'm a former CIO for a 16 hospital system and creator of This Week Health, a channel dedicated to keeping health IT staff current, and engage. Special thanks to CrowdStrike, Proofpoint, ClearSense, Meditech, Cedar Sinai Accelerator, TalkDesk, and Dr. First, who are our Newsday show sponsors for investing in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders. All right, it's another Newsday episode, and we are joined by the incomparable Ryan Witt. You don't mind if I call you incomparable, right? I could call a lot worse, even just <laughs> That's, that's the right response there. I love it. Man, we've, we've had a lot going on. I was at the Chimefall Forum. I was at the Health HLTH conference as well and got to talk to a lot of people. And the story I want to start with you on, I mean, we have a security story here. We're going to talk about Senator Warner and some of the stuff that's going on there, but the uh, And I, I'm going to encapsulate it in the five takeaways from the health conference. Now, I know you weren't at the health conference, but these takeaways are common across, I think, all the conferences that we just went yeah, to. Sure. We're not going to talk about these stories specifically, but they're wrapped up in the first takeaway from the health conference. Common Spirit reports $227 million quarter loss. Memorial Sloan Kettering to lay off 3% of staff. Advocate Aurora posts $310 million Q3 loss. And then you have the five takeaways from the health conference. And the first one is that the economic troubles loom large in digital health. Now, they're not talking about providers. They're just talking about digital health, which is a different segment altogether. But I I sort of want to talk about both segments because the Chime Fall Forum, I did 29 interviews. And I say, what I want to do is talk to you about what's top of mind. And everybody's joke was the same, which was, well, it's financials. But I don't want to talk about that. So we'd always talk about what was second top of mind because otherwise we would have talked to 29 Systems about the financial pressure that they're under. Is that what you you heard as well at the Fall Forum and others? Yeah, I mean, I think it's that talk tracker that theme is becoming pervasive. I mean, right across the marketplace, right across industries, but particularly in healthcare where, I mean, some very leading institutions, uh, very large institutions are making fairly... Strong statements about their earnings and their their need to go make cutbacks, and is that a, a lingering sort of COVID pressure of not being able to do elective surgeries and all the the kind of the high return sort of procedures they were not able to do, kind of kind of taking effect? Is that also a statement about the prevailing economic headwinds, which I think we all now now really see? I mean, I'm I'm calling you right now from Silicon Valley, and we're seeing headwinds that I can't recall for, for many years now. I mean, good, more than a decade, that's we have seen this sort of job pressure. So I feel like it's across all industries and healthcare is definitely feeling with very low margin industries feeling the brunt of it, right? Yeah, I, well, big tech. I mean, we saw what Meta was, was that 10,000 employees? Maybe even 11,000, yeah. Yeah, 11,000 at Meta. You saw you saw Google tighten it up. I don't know if yeah. they did layoffs per se. And you're, you're seeing that, just uh, across the board, all these uh, Amazon doing cuts for the, the first time and whatnot. This they is a doing cuts. They have companies like that who have just been rocket ships, essentially. Yeah, it's. I mean, that's really interesting. And that's the takeaway from health is that digital health also has seen a significant c- contraction. And they talked about the players that used. What did Jonathan Bush refer to it? And he goes digital health used to be the land of milk and honey. Just go out and essentially find find money off trees and just pull it down and life was good. And that was just two years ago. And what he's saying now is, and their second thing is profitability is the new king. It's not about growth at any cost. That used to be the model, let's say two years ago, is get as much money as you can, grow, 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 uh, position yourself for a sale and do your exit and that kind of stuff. And now what they're saying is, now, the model's changed pretty dramatically and it is extend your runway, get to profitability and make sure that the profitability sustains you for as long as you can with, and and no one's really telling me, no one's saying, hey, we expect this to end in 12 months or 24. No one's really giving that the exit. Even the, the feds even being a little bit clear about that. The feds saying this could last three years. like we, the Fed are saying we collectively as a body need to get control of inflation. And so one one of the ways we're gonna get control of inflation is we're going to keep trades high, probably higher than they even need to be so that when we have an opportunity to make adjustments, we actually have, we, we put ammunition back into the to the chamber, so to speak. Because essentially with all the quantitative easing, the markets have experienced over the last, since 2008, essentially, the Fed is out of, out of mechanisms to go help to stimulate the economy artificially. And so I think they're trying to build up that sort of momentum again. So I think it, I think it is going to be be tough times. And we are probably moving into an era right now where the headwinds are gonna be severe. And I, I kind of fear for healthcare because I fear like they might pull back on that digital health spending. But I think you do so at your peril because I still think those large behemoths are out there. The interlopers Want a piece of the healthcare pie? The healthcare pie is not growing. So if you're a Walgreens, or if you're a CVS, if you're a Walmart, if you're an Amazon, and you're able to go take a segment of that pie in the form of doing vaccinations, or being like the go-to sort of um, distributor for all the pharmaceuticals, or low-level sort of urgent care-type procedures, that's just a part of the business that no longer available to the traditional providers. And I think. When you're on that already in, in single-digit margin territory, how do you lose that sort of, of operational, how do you, how you lose that sort of business and keep going? I think it's going to be difficult for them. So I think you have to keep investing. Yeah. Some of the optimism was from investors. The health conference, the HLTH conference, has a lot of investors there. And I interviewed at least one, if not two or three of them, at least two. And now I think about it. And the thing they said is in the, in the highly hyped times, it's hard to see what is real and what is hype. And when you have this economic downturn, there's sort of a clearing of the air. It's like, Oh, okay. oh that's delivering value. That's right. not delivering value. And they're kind of excited because they're like, look, the, the market will take care of those that don't add value and they will go away. They're also excited that the organizations that they are working with are getting much more focused. Their message is getting focused. This is what we do and this is who we do it for. So well, I think I think a lot of that boils down to lack of access to capital, right? So not yeah. there's not capital is not readily available like it used to be. And if you decide you can get access to capital, you're paying a lot more for it than you used to from because the interest rates are so much higher. So it does focus the mind, right? You have to be much more targeted and much more considered in your investment. So I think we have seen, we don't know what this economic climate is going to look like compared to the previous sort of cycles, but we certainly have these downturns previously. Some fantastic companies have been born out of this, right? Some great innovations have been born out of that because the, the wind does clear away the fog and the value then kind of rises to the top here. Like I'm mixing a lot of metaphors, but I think you get my point. Yep, absolutely. There was one interesting, and I thought that was Amazon launched their virtual health platform. Essentially, they launched their let's see virtual health marketplace that would feature third-party direct consumer telehealth providers to potential customers. And so this direct, I saw a lot of pivots or pivots that have happened and that are starting to really take root. And a lot of organizations are focusing on the employer market and they're focusing on the payer market or they're focusing on the direct consumer. And the direct to consumer one is, is interesting to me because we have traditionally not been able to get consumers to pay for health because they're like, I already have insurance. Insurance should pay for it. And if it doesn't, I'm not gonna pay for it. And people who have an alternate form of monetizing that, like Apple has phones, And if they sell more phones because they're doing digital health, they win. And if, if Amazon sells more prime memberships, they, that's how they can monetize some of these things. Amazon's making some interesting moves. I mean, the, the pharmacy direct to consumer pharmacy business, they have just done a significant marketing push. A lot of people in my community are saying, Hey, what do you know about this Amazon pharmacy and whatnot? And so they're going to compete with Express Scripts and others that are out there. And then you have this, uh, this marketplace to potentially utilize the platform that they already have relationships. hundred percent. A lot of it comes down to do you, do you buy into the business model? Because the business model for, this could be a generational thing, but a business model that works really well, or at least it's so it seems to, is this idea that I'm going to use Instacart now to go to grocery shopping. I'm going to use DoorDash to feed myself. I'm gonna use Amazon to go shopping for, for goods and presents. Why couldn't you then extend that sort of business model to provide healthcare services as well? I, I think we have shown, we have seen through other industries that there's an appetite for these types of services, particularly I think with younger younger sort of generations. And so they don't, they don't feel the same sort of pangs about, I must go have that physical encounter with my primary care physician. That maybe people from our generations, if I could use that, that for yeah. have that sort of. And so I think why, why, why wouldn't those models work? And I, I think if healthcare, if traditional providers don't get into that business, then the Amazons of the world who already have that platform or already have a trusted relationship, I mean, love them or loathe them. Most people have substantial relationships with Amazon these days, right? Yep. They should show up sometime today. And you know what? I know they're showing up sometime today because they already notified me that they're coming sometime today and they're really good at that kind of stuff. Really, like, really good about it. And why can't my healthcare experience be something similar? Yep. So every time I go to the hospital, or the doctors I'm filling out the same form again, again, and again. And again. All right. We'll get back to our show in just a minute. We have a webinar coming up on December 7th, and I'm looking forward to that webinar. It is on how to modernize the data platform within healthcare, the modern data platform within healthcare, and I'm really looking forward to the conversation, we just recorded five Pre episodes for that, and so they're going to air on Tuesday and Thursdays leading up to the episode. And we have a great conversation about the different aspects, different use cases around the modern data platform, and how agility becomes so key and data quality and all those things. So great conversation. Looking forward to that Wednesday, December seventh at one o'clock. Love to have you join us. We're going to have health system leaders from Memorial Care and others. CDW is. Going to have some of their experts on the show as well. So, check that out. You can go to our website, thisweekhealth.com, top right hand corner. You'll see the upcoming webinars. Love to have you be a part of it. If you have a question coming into it, one of the things we do is we collect the questions in the sign up form because we want to make sure that we incorporate that into the discussion. So, hope to see you there. Now, back to the show. I want to get you into your wheelhouse here. So, Senator Warren, Mark Warren, Seems to be the patron saint of cybersecurity on the Hill. Democrat from Virginia, Virginia, a healthcare cybersecurity white paper with policy options, aptly named cybersecurity in Is Patient Safety? Cybersecurity is patient safety. The insights make key recommendations to address systemic challenges, including the creation of a workforce development program targeting the sector and the use of incentives and requirements to improve cyber hygiene now i've heard people refer to this as meaningful use for cyber cybersecurity which man anyone who's doing marketing knows that that would be a mistake to call it meaningful use for cybersecurity sure. but when you see the incentives and the requirements you you can see the shadows you can of see meaningful the connection you can see the connection sure what are your thoughts on incentives and requirements around cybersecurity in, in in his terms to protect patient safety So I'm gonna get into the land of hyperbole here for a second. I think maybe one of the most important developments in healthcare cybersecurity of the last five years is now this common or increasingly common acceptance that there is a direct connection between cyber events and patient safety. We used to, particularly in the meaningful use era, we used to really think of, of cyber in terms of a compliancy risk. How do I mitigate my compliancy risk? That's how I can make sure I have the right sort of security audits so I don't end up on OCR as well as shame. And of course, nobody wants that, but that was never the right way to look at it. And then it became a reputational harm and a financial harm. And again, nobody wants those sort of things. And certainly there's been big losses seen for, for cyber events in healthcare. But I think what it really cuts down to and what, we, what we're moving to now is that there is a connection and a recognition that if you have a cyber event, you can't deliver the patient care experience that you're trying to, that your mission says you're trying to do. And in more extreme cases, patient safety is at risk. And, ex- and really acute cases, it could adversely imp- impact patient outcomes. In fact, we, we've seen some surveys and it is survey-based, it's not clinical data, but survey-based research that said, yes, this is happening today. And even if you don't want to okay. listen to kind of pay too much heed to a survey, it doesn't take a lot of sort of common sense to realize that if you're a health system and your systems are effectively shut off for for a month, that's got to adversely impact patient outcomes. It's just got to, right? Yeah. Well, it, it, so here's some from the article. The transition to better cybersecurity has been painfully slow and inadequate. I think we all agree yeah. it has been slow. The federal government and the health sector must find a balanced approach to meet the dire threats as partners with shared responsibilities. He goes on later, Stakeholders support incentives rather than mandatory mandates on cybersecurity. So providers are struggling to better adapt their cyber capabilities, and fully build a robust response system in order to efficiently recover from attacks. This can be seen with the recent and, and outgoing outages faced that mul- multiple healthcare providers, Common Spirit, is still working to fully recover. So they, they are pretty much recovered at all of its hospitals. One way to better support provider organizations is through incentives. I want to talk to you about incentives. Yes, yeah, so um, I want to go there too. So where, where will incentives work and where will incentives not work? And how do we determine if they work? Are we going to, if you take these incentives, you have to measure against the NIST framework or if I, I mean, this is where we got in trouble with meaningful use. I understand it's different and it's, a, but it, it does have, again, complexity the complexity of meaningful use was massive. And we have to remember meaningful use was put in place as a economic recovery program. Sure. Right. Sure. That, that's not what this is. This is saying, no, let's, let's get the right things. Where will incentives work? Where will, where do you think they may not work? First of all, I mean, let's even take a step back. Do we have the political climate on the Hill to allocate funds can we get both parties to agree to to offer funds for incentives? I, I would wonder that. So even though this legislation is being is going through its sort of consultation sort of phase, I would still wonder where the appetite is, is particularly when we're facing a debt ceiling and do we or do we not fund the government through, through the back end of this year? So we have a lot of looming, looming challenges politically. So put that aside though, incentives would work in this case, when they are much more tied to the security or the robustness of security posture of the institution. I mean, where, where meaningful use fell down a little bit from a, from a security standpoint, and again, that wasn't the main thrust of that sort of legislation, for sure, but where they had attributes or in the legislation that, are, that you can get money for, it was all around compliancy, and that was just always the wrong sort of metric, making sure that you were... Keeping in in tune of the of HIPAA and, and, and related regulation was great from a compliance standpoint, but it doesn't solve at all for security. And I think it gave a lot of institutions the air cover to say we're secure, knowing pretty full well that you you really weren't. So I think tying it back to to NIST is is the more the most logical thing to do. I mean the 405d program, which is also fairly Aligned to NIST, and that's very much about cybersecurity preparedness for healthcare. So that might be even a better sort of model. But I, like those are two sort of frameworks that you could tie it back to and and measure against those sort of frameworks. And I think then that would be impactful. It, it is a little bit regrettable, however, that healthcare we've we've trained the healthcare industry to rely on incentives to go and do meaningful things or to make yeah. big sort of transformations. And we I don't know if that's the right model going forward. Apple, Amazon, the Googles of the World figure out where the marketplace, where the ball's going, or where the in the way Wayne Gretzky sort of parlance, where the puck, where the puck is going to, and yeah. they try they try to navigate towards that. And I think healthcare needs to kind of be of that mindset. Yes, they might need help again along the way. But there is two much sitting on the sidelines, waiting for government to put their hand out. I don't, I don't know. If it's yeah, as you read the article, some are suggesting the remember the cash for clunkers program. They're essentially saying, "Look, there's a lot of insecure older pieces of equipment. Why don't we just have sort of a trade in program or trade up program? We give people cash for these pieces of equipment that are end of life or whatever." I, I just don't know. I just don't know where that would end. I mean, I inherited. A data center that had ninety plus percent end of life equipment. I mean, are they going to replace every piece of equipment in my data center? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I mean, that's a that's a that's a big number, by the way. They're going to replace all those out of date modalities that are still providing patient care, even though they're they're a security risk. And I think it depends on on what the what the intention is. I'm trying to think where I want to go. There's a big article going back and forth, and it is on Becker's. Giles Bruce wrote an article. Is Epic's dominance good for healthcare? He interviewed a bunch of CIOs and uh, Tony Ambrosi from Baptist. Baptist, Yeah, Florida. uh, Yeah, yeah, Florida. And Keith Perry, Brilliant Clinic. And uh, I think a couple others in here. Yeah, there's a couple other CIOs in here. And they just, they give. There are various opinions, and this is always a difficult conversation to have. And the reason I, I, I don't mind doing it at the end is because I don't want to give too much time to it, because it's almost a, it's, it's a moot point, right? We can talk about it all we want, but at the end of, end of the day, it's not going to change Epic's dominance right. in, in healthcare. Is it good for healthcare uh, or is it not good for healthcare? The general consensus that we're reading in social media and whatnot is Uh, Anytime an organization has that much power and sway in an industry, you have to be concerned about prices and pricing going up and their control of the market and, and keeping people out. But on the flip side, people are saying, look, you have to remember what life was like before Epic. And we had a lot of failed EHR implementations. We had, when you do an Epic implementation, one of the things is you consolidate like 50 to 100 apps. And right. that's good for healthcare. You have a fully integrated stack from ambulatory to acute, and then you have sharing across all of these Epic instances. So people are making the case, hey, it's good I'm from that perspective, and it's bad from a market penetration perspective. A- any thoughts? I mean, we, we always have to be careful here because we know people on on both sides of this argument. Right. I agree with all that. I mean, it, Epic has helped move the needle significantly in healthcare and that whole digitization of the patient record has, has been a massive change. And at the same time, we haven't really realized the benefit of it yet. I mean, we talk about being able to exchange patient data across the Epic ecosystem, but not always. Right. Right. Not always, not always. And if you know, God forbid, if you are, epic and then you go to a Cerner and then you go to an all scripts and then you go to an right. Athena and then you come back it's like uh, never the tween shall meet in a lot of cases right I don't know my apple phone talk to my android phone well, yeah it depends on what app you're using right yeah. absolutely you can send yeah. email you can send I assume you can yeah. send text I've I, it's hard to find an android user in my world I know <laughs> same, same here it's good for healthcare in that it moved the needle significantly in a way that that needed to be moved. And it would also be really good if a non-standard player got traction in the marketplace to help move the needle further, particularly around interoperability of these of these systems and making that data much more shareable and accessible. Yeah, here's my anecdotes on this. One is I played golf with a CIO from a small health system, and they went to Epic. And I'm curious when a small health system chooses to go to Epic, not Community Connect, they go to Epic. Yeah. yeah. And I, what's the benefit? Well, we consolidated a lot of applications. I said, yeah, that's interesting, because you went from a system that I was on. So I'm sitting there going, I know that my costs were like a third to operate my EHR than it would be to operate Epic. And sure enough, he confirmed that he had to increase his staff by two-thirds of what it was before he said you know what we started we had like 35 40 people in that clinical informatics side of what do you have now 120 I'm like wow that's like an ongoing fixed cost forever he goes yeah but we consolidated all these apps I'm like yes but you're essentially what you did is amortize the costs because you're going to pay for those people forever and with their honor roll system he can't cut those staff later either I mean or he loses, incentives so that was that was one anecdote i'm listening to it going is that really better for that health system maybe maybe i'm not i'm not entirely sure it is the other is i was talking to an integrator and when at the health conference and when you talk to at the health conference you're talking to people that are trying to innovate and gain access to the epic ecosystem and they refer to it as the epic toll And the epic toll is if you want to be in the app store, if you want to access that data and whatnot, there's a toll to be paid. And it fluctuates between 10 and 20 some odd percent of your total revenue. It's it's not a small number. And they're like, look, as long as there's that tax, there's always going to be a, uh, it's going to keep innovation from happening. If you can reduce that tax, I'm like, okay, I understand that. And then somebody told me that they changed and I know this is true. They changed their model for API usage. It used to be like $2,000 per health system to connect to the APIs. And now they're doing per API call. And somebody gave me the math and they said, look, it used to be $2,000. And this is the cost the health system's paying. And now it's $42,000. Yeah. And there's like, and so those are my three anecdotes where I go, yeah, I, I see all the good that they've done. I have the utmost admiration for Judy. She is a phenomenal business person. Yes. And she's distinct in the industry in terms of how much she cares and trying to do the right thing. But it's a big company and some of the decisions they make have far-reaching impacts like increasing the cost of healthcare. And I don't know, we've got to... Uh, got to weigh all those things. And I hope we can have the conversation and not like every now and then I'll, we'll, I'll bring this stuff up and people will send me angry emails. I'm like, send your angry emails as long as you want to have a conversation about it. But if you just want to tell me I'm an idiot, I have enough people that do that in my life. So <laughs> hey, <laughs> mon- monopolies, gun monopoly. Yes. Yes. And more power to them. If you can do the monopoly thing, more power to you. And I think the most exciting thing I saw out of the health conference I saw the Google search bar integrated into the Meditech Expanse system and then I saw the Meditech Expanse announcement that HCA is going to stick with Meditech and they're going to do expanse across the board. I was pretty that was pretty big. Yeah, because because people don't know this. They have instances of Epic in their oh, environment. Yeah. Yeah, right. And they're going to move them out and go to Meditech Expanse. And anyone who hears this is probably just scratching their head. Like, what are they doing? Well, they're a for-profit system. They can't go without making money for too long. And they can't sign on to that kind of increase in the overall cost of ongoing maintenance for that. So uh, it's going to be interesting Interesting to see. Ryan, as always, great conversation. I love our conversations and really appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks a lot. What a great discussion. If you know of someone that might benefit from our channel from these kinds of discussions, please forward them a note, perhaps your team, your staff. I know if I were a CIO today, I would have every one of my team members listening to a show just like this one. It's conference level value every week. They can subscribe on our website, thisweekhealth.com. They can also subscribe wherever they listen to podcasts, Apple, Google, Overcast. You get the picture. We are everywhere. Go ahead, subscribe today. We want to thank our Newsday sponsors who are investing in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders. Those are CrowdStrike, Proofpoint, ClearSense, Meditech, Cedar sinai Accelerator, TalkDesk, and Dr. First. Thanks for listening. That's all for now.